Hello, and welcome to the 27th episode of the Crystal Clear Watchmaking Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host, Jay. How you doing, Jay? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Not much going on, though, I'll be honest. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it is what it is right now. Yeah, but actually, there is one thing that I've been doing, which is uh, I'm about to move. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, so I've been packing up my stuff. And it's amazing how, you know, your watchmaker bench and all your tools and, like, stuff spreads out, like, massively, massively wide. And then I packed it all up, and it just fits in, like, a pretty regular size box. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I don't know. I I hate moving. I know I I mentioned to you, we moved a couple weeks ago, too. It's pain in the ass. Yeah, and you just moved across town, you said, right? Yeah. Well, how far are you moving? Uh, I am actually changing zip codes. So. Wow. Big move. Woo. Yeah, I'm I'm staying in the same state, though. Okay. Is it for work, for school, for just it's because? For, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess you would say school. Okay. Cool. And speaking of school, we that's sort of our topic for today. Um, do you have any news? I actually do. It's not, well, it's not watch news, but there's news that I kind of want to run by everybody. Okay, okay. Um, do you have any watch news? We should probably do watch news first, though. I don't think I do. And, you know, we're not, I mean, I'm definitely not that great of a source of news. Okay. Because I'm not as as plugged in to the, to the market as, like, a lot of the collectors, you know, they've got their five or six watch websites that they check every day, you know, in the morning, yeah. have a coffee, read all the all the watch stuff. I'm yeah. sure some stuff has happened, but that's just not me, you know? Yeah, and I know it's slower these days because, like, watch shops aren't even open, or if they are, it's been very recently open, so. Yeah, and, you know, even though I do have some compassion for the retailers and stuff, um... I do like that this has made some places start uh, online stores. Right. Because I just think it's ridiculous in today's day and age that I have to literally go somewhere and buy something. That's ridiculous, <laughs> man. I should just be able to buy it online. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But but the, the, the sad thing is, though, that that's one ang- that's one angle, but the other angle is that a lot of mom and pop local stores were, weren't set up for that. And so they're going to, they like, you know, they're getting screwed basically. And, and a lot of restaurants that don't have that infrastructure set up, they, they could have been a great restaurant, but they, they don't yeah, have that set up. This brings up a very interesting thing for me because on one hand, let's pretend that all the ADs and everything just disappeared and right. everyone just bought stuff online. So the in-person ADs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if that were to happen, there would be less nonsense with like, oh, established relationship with us, blah, 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 right? Yeah. But you'd have more of like the like ticket master type thing where like a bot just buys everything the second that it comes out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I actually like the, like I compare it to, because and this brings like, this is like car dealerships, right? Like car dealerships have had to shut down. Well, th- now they're probably back open, but 
here in California, they allowed them to do online, all, all online sales because car, car sales were drying up. Like it was like dead. And so right, you, you could negotiate the whole thing online. And that to me, like I've, I've been to car dealerships. It, it's like the worst thing ever. And it's like, if you can <laughs> guarantee a, a price online and just click a button, basically how you would buy a Tesla, like if you could do that for watches, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. So you basically on one side, you've got the AD where you go in and he's like, Yo, oh yes, I'll put you on the list for the Rolex. And yeah. then he just takes your name and throws it away. It takes, your, takes a deposit too. Well, I don't know about the deposit thing. I assume if you give them a deposit, they don't just throw away your name. <laughs> that would just be too much. But, you know, and then online, at least if like, you know, it sells out instantly, whether or not because I was too slow or some bot just bought it all. At least there, I know that I didn't make it. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas with the AD, he's just like, oh, yeah, we put your name on the list. And then he just throws away your name. And then yeah. you just sit around thinking that maybe one day you'll get a Rolex and you're never going to get a Rolex. Yeah, it, it takes. Yeah. I, online is, is better. It's more black and white, basically. You don't have some middleman. Yeah. So I, I can see how both of them have downsides. But I, for myself, I prefer the downside of like, you know, the bot just buying all of them and stuff. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that bot is basically what the AD is anyway. They're the middleman. So that bot is going to resell. So essentially that is your AD. Because if you go full online, you basically don't need an AD. Well, what stops Rolex from just putting out the watches on an online store? Yeah, I assume that the problem is that Rolex is concerned that they're just going to get you know, used by a bot. I mean, the thing is, is for the vast majority of companies, you don't even need to be worried about that. Like, that's not going to happen and it's not going to be a problem. Right. Because the resale isn't that great. Right. But for a place like Rolex, I don't know, you could do a thing where, like, you make an account with them and then you say... And basically, the more intrusive the requirements to make the account the more you ward off bots. So, like, if your account needs yeah. your phone number, then that's another step away from uh, bots. And if it requires, I don't know, some other personal, hard-to-replicate detail. Yeah, but I, I, but you bring up a good point. Like, Rolex is, in a, like, just piggybacking off our last week's topic, luxury goods, they kind of rely on that uh, mystique of having a high resale value so it's hard for them to like they could easily ramp up supply just sell online and uh, you know like it's it's all supply and demand they act they i think they like that their watches sell for more it, it increases their their cachet kind of oh yeah i definitely think so and you know i was just thinking about this have you ever seen those donato's rolexes no what is that <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, Donato's franchise owners, it used to be that if they hit a certain, like, super high weekly sales mark, then the CEO or whatever would send them a Rolex. Oh. And on the Rolex dial was the Donato's logo. Oh, okay, so it's probably worth a lot. It was an Air King. And I can't, you know, I think it's not, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't think it's worth a crazy amount, um, but... 
the funny thing is, is it's not an aftermarket thing. It's something that Rolex put on the dial itself. Yeah. And it's just such an incongruence of brands. <laughs> yeah, but I, but that, that irregularity probably makes it worth a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think right. it is worth more than a regular... I think they were Air Kings, and I right. think they're worth more than Air Kings of that era. Because I know the Tiffany-branded Rolexes are worth a lot, too. Yeah, but I was thinking about their obnoxious sales tactics on Rolex, and I was thinking the perfect brand to just be, like, symbiotically obnoxious with is Supreme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Supreme is... To me, it's Supreme is, like oversaturating themselves they're like on everything now are they yeah i that, to me it seems like but yeah i don't know much about them to be honest i have a friend yeah. who had a very independently well not independently but the child of a very wealthy uh chinese guy okay that he was a roommate with yeah and i feel like you do get you can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, but I have, I grew up and like all of my friends were, a, were Asian for some reason. Okay. Even that's, though there weren't that many in my area. That's funny. But when I grew up, all my friends were like Caucasian. <laughs> yeah. But if you're in the, in, you know, the, you grew up in Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty Caucasian place, except for Toronto. Toronto's got a lot of uh, Asian population. You can get bubble tea on every corner, is my understanding. Yeah, the uh, basically the, the the two big hub cities, which is which is Toronto and Vancouver, have all the multi ethnicity groups. So anywhere in between, you're basically is mostly Caucasian in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you tend to find what what I've been told basically is that. If you are very rich and you live in China, then your first goal is to have your uh, like son or daughter study themselves to death and try to get into the very prestigious schools in China. Right? Yeah. yeah. But then if you've like spoiled your kid and they're not that much of a hard worker and stuff, then you just send them to U.S. universities. <laughs> yeah, which, I, which happens a lot. So you send them overseas. Yeah, so... So anyway, this this guy was like, I don't know, probably the son of some businessman who, you know, is supported by the Chinese government, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, right. super rich. Great. And when he left, he just left everything in his room. He didn't even pack anything up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, he's just so rich. He didn't even yeah. tell them that he was leaving. He just left and his room was just empty for months and months. Right. Until his lease actually lapped and he last uh lap lapsed. 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 I don't know why that was hard to get out. <laughs> you, you but anyway, out that's so much that you forgot how to speak English. No, seriously. Like I feel like I talk so little now. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> words, you know, it's like that part of my brain of actually speaking is not as strong. But so his apartment lapsed and he had but he was you know, roommates like, with your friend, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he left behind, like, a huge TV and, like, a uh, PlayStation 4 and, like, all this stuff. Nice. And uh, one of the things that he left behind was a bunch of Supreme stuff. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's crazy. You'd think he'd take that. Including 
what my friend got, I actually think is kind of hilarious. It's like a gun that you can put dollar uh, money into, and it <laughs> just shoots the bills out. That's like, like yeah, uh, for going to strip clubs or something. <laughs> yeah, like a rapper music <laughs> video, just like spewing dollar bills everywhere. That's probably worth a lot, you know, because frame stuff is all limited. I think it's kind of hilarious. I mean, the problem is, when are you ever going to use that item? <laughs> no, yeah, like, you use so it once, practical. and then you resell it. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, so yeah. so Rolex and Supreme. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people would buy it because it's like the Venn diagram of Supreme customers and Rolex customers. A lot of, there's a lot of overlap, actually. Probably. Probably. So anyways, um, I had some news, non-watch news, about actually about it, the podcast industry. Have you heard, have you heard about... Um, Joe Rogan? You've heard about that podcast, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's moving to Spotify uh, exclusively yeah. in a year or so, within the year. But they um, they didn't release how much they're paying him, but people online are saying $100 million for that exclusivity. It's got to be a huge amount. My question is, does this mean Spotify is going to move into hosting video? They are. They already said because because Joe Rogan has a YouTube aspect. Like they basically just record the whole podcast, the video, and put it on a YouTube channel, and that channel yeah. has like millions of subscribers. So Spotify is going to have a video aspect as well. You know what I realize is that just podcasts and random videos on YouTube. I pretty much don't listen to music anymore because I have just like podcasts and random stuff on YouTube running in the background instead. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't subscribe to TV to cable. Like we've cut cable. I feel like you're the average person now. <laughs> yeah. The only thing keeping cable alive is like nursing homes. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe people that are really into sports because I don't know. But like, but, but that's if, gonna change. If you want to watch the soon. NFL. Yeah. Yeah, but but remember, it was not that long ago when cord cutting is what it's called was like such a radical idea it's like whoa whoa why would you do well how can you even do that <laughs> anyways it's the new age so as far as watchmaking news you don't have any of that right no no okay me me neither i'm sure that there's something that you know people like hodinki are writing about but yeah nothing that i caught so the topic for today pretty pretty exciting i feel like this is going to answer questions in the future where we'll be able to just point people to this episode and say go look there you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah and i'm surprised we haven't covered this topic yet considering the name of our podcast yeah i mean we pseudo covered it once before right um and now i'm not even remembering what we even called that well, well there's been multiple episodes where we covered aspects of it but didn't hit it like right of the nail on the head kind of Oh, okay. The one where I was sort of talking about this a little bit was the Build Your Own Watch uh, yeah. episode. Yeah. So, topic is, how do you become a watchmaker, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, first of all, I want to say that we're not the only resource, so don't plan your entire life around what I say right now. Right. <laughs> if you're an aspiring But we're hoping to give you a very, some very solid ideas of what's going on. And the first thing that I'd say is, is not whether or not, you know, how do you become one? 
how do you know if you are one deep inside? Okay. <laughs> well, we're so going I, that's deep where now. I thought I'd start. Yes. It's a, this is like some Yoda like teaching <laughs> right now, but I just came up with three personal attributes that I thought were pretty, pretty decent ones. So the first one is steady hands. Okay. Ah, interesting. Now, it doesn't have to be ridiculously steady. You know what I'm saying? But I have a friend who, you know, his hands just tremble slightly, constantly. Okay? Right. And he's just not going to be a watchmaker. <laughs> but you know, you, no matter the, how much he likes it. The sad thing is that, that people who want to be, you know, that has any kind of hobby profession that needs steady hands, but then, then they don't have steady hands, it's like a real kind of bummer. Yeah, it's a drag when uh, physical stuff stops you from doing stuff. Yes, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's literally impossible. Maybe there's some work around that you can do. But in general, I'd say steady hands, that's a pretty obvious start. Yeah, because you're dealing with like tiny little pieces. Yeah. And speaking of tiny little pieces, the next thing is patience. Mm. If you're a very impatient person in general, <laughs> and, you know, some people, you know, they're getting all angry or something and you know you ask them to be patient and they're like i am patient i'm the most patient <laughs> yeah so sometimes it's hard to to clock yourself properly <laughs> on on whether or not you actually have these attributes but um yeah it's it it is definitely something where sometimes things will go really smoothly and you don't need patience but there are definitely times in watchmaking where things can get very frustrating very fast because of how annoying something is. Right. So so patience is good. Um, not because you couldn't do it if you were impatient, but because I think it would make you unhappy if you were uh, impatient. Right. And then the last one, this is the most hard to quantify. Okay. <laughs> but a brain for like... 3D and puzzle solving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Oh, th there, there's a word for this, isn't? Like, um, cause, cause, um, my this is totally out of left field, but I used, to, I had some friends back in college who wanted to become dentists. It was dentistry, and you had to take a, you had to take like an MCAT, but it was for dentists. And, yep, yep. And he was saying that you need this is the exact skill you need for this test is to be able to visualize things when they're folded over, like very uh abstract shapes and things like that yeah it's called a uh, spatial yeah 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 spatial something. something oh man now i really want to know what the phrase is <laughs> but anyway that's sort of what you need and and an idea of whether or not you've got the patience and sort of puzzle solving if grandma was like oh dearie you want to do a puzzle with me and you were like, nah, I don't like doing puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> then might not be for you. <laughs> but sometimes, I have to say, sometimes passion can override all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are the most passionate person ever, you can perhaps learn the patience, learn the 3Dness, and all that sort of thing. Okay. So with the personal traits out of the way, I first started with something that I am calling the watchmaker trial, okay? Yeah. And this is basically for you to do things a little bit 
and get an idea of if you if you really do like it. You know what I'm saying? All right. So, the watchmaker trial. Here's here's how you're going to do it. The first step is to go to a site like Esslinger or eBay, and your goal is to buy a 64.98 clone. Okay, All which right. is basically an ETA movement number and but you want to buy the clone okay yeah <laughs> don't buy the original and basically it's a it's like a pocket watch size movement and it's got a, a uh sub seconds dial which is actually the easier less complicated way of of putting together the gear train right Basically, this thing, everything's going to be a bit bigger for you to manipulate and for for when you're a beginner. Uh, and it's got very simple architecture and it's manual wind. So this is kind of a good place to start. Right. You need a movement holder, a loop, screwdrivers, pair of tweezers. And if you can get one of those like watch repair kits on Amazon that has like multiple of these things for like 20 bucks or whatever... Uh, that's probably good. Probably shouldn't go for all like the best tools and stuff when you're just trying it out. Yeah, it's tempting though, but yeah, like because for example, my screwdrivers, my screwdriver set is like I want to say like one hundred and seventy five dollars. Wow! Just can you get something like that on Amazon, or is it too specialized? No, you can't. You oh, you can't. can't! Wow, you can't even get it on Amazon. That's when you know it's good stuff. <laughs> There you go. So, but yeah, if you just get like a, a 10 or $15 set of screwdrivers, that's probably better. And if you get it in like a watch repair kit set, even better, better. Um, you just want to be able to like tinker with stuff uh, without needing the top of the line. Because this is just the trial to figure out whether or not you're really actually into it. Okay. All right. So now, now that you've got the clone and you've got all your tools... There's two ways you could go about this. One is you could look up the 6498. Um, there's always like instruction manuals right. for how these are supposed to be like taken apart and oiled and all that. Or you could just take it apart. And this is sort of what I suggest. I suggest you take it apart and then you take a picture every time that you that you remove something. Okay. Right. And also remember, all the parts aren't going in the same basket. <laughs> right. You have to like separate things out, um, so you could you could buy actually these little like plastic trays that just have little sections that watchmakers use, right? And that'll be really useful for you uh, because if you put everything in one big pile, it could become very confusing very quickly. So I would say take it apart, take photos, um, and put it back together. And the nice thing about this is that the watch tells you if you put it back together reasonably well, because if it doesn't run, you didn't do it well. <laughs> it's it's pretty obvious if it's not working. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I would say there's two different ways to do this. Um, one is to take it all the way down and then yep. put it all the way back together. But another way you could do it, which I think has some value too, is to just do a small section and then put that section back together and then take it apart and put it back together. Because mm. what I want is for you to get reps. Right. That's so important. I'd say I'd say overall, with this little setup that you've bought, you should like take it apart and put it back together maybe like 20 times. Okay. 
So you're very familiar with what's going on. You're getting used to using your smaller tools and everything like that. And I'd say, so the way that you do small sections is you just take off like a single bridge and then you take out all the pieces under the bridge. Then you put back in all the pieces under the bridge. You put the bridge back on. Okay, that's a good tip. Yeah, so you just want to get a lot of reps. And here's here's the part that's going to be the most uh, hard, okay? Yeah. So how do you get the how do you get the watch to run at the end to show you that you did it right? Okay. So the first thing is that you wind up the watch without the balance in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So because there's no balance in it, there's no way for it to give off power. Ah. So once you drop the balance in, and by drop I mean extremely carefully place it in. Yeah. But once you put it in, it should start ticking right instantly before you screw it down even yeah as soon as it's in place it'll start ticking as long as long as you rebuilt everything else right and then put it in right and here's here's the part where you're putting it in right is a little bit complicated so you have the pallet fork and it flicks back and forth back and forth right right and the thing that it's flicking is the impulse jewel at the bottom of the balance assembly yeah so what you need to make sure is that when you're putting in the balance, that the impulse jewel ends up on the same side as the pallet fork. Okay. So if you put it in neutral, okay, the, the pallet fork is always on one side, right? Right. As long as it's wound, it won't be sitting in the center of its movement range. It'll always be on one side of the movement range or the other. Right. That's just how it works. So if you put it in neutrally, then most likely your jewel will be in the wrong location. Okay. So what you need to do is you need to put in the the balance where you make contact with the bottom, uh, where you've rotated it towards the side that the pallet is currently on. So that right. when you when you put it fully in, the jewel will tap the tap the pallet fork to come back to center and then it'll just start running ah okay it, and this is i could tell you this is the most frustrating part okay if, if you're not getting it to run at the end after you like take it all apart you put it back together and it's not running that's just hugely frustrating right this is where the patience part comes in but a lot of it could just be how you're putting in how you're putting in the balance. So you have to make sure that the impulse jewel is on the same side as the pallet fork is is pointing at the start. Yeah. It's it's actually good sometimes when things don't work right away because that's where you actually learn when you troubleshoot. Yeah. So I'm just helping everyone. That is the thing that will probably confuse you the most at, at, at the very start when you're just trying to get it to run. Like look there first kind of thing. Yeah, because it's also the thing that you're doing right now. So you just fix the one thing that you're doing at that instant. Now, right. let's say you've done all this and you're still having fun, right? Yeah. Then the trial continues, okay? <laughs> so if you're still having fun, then I'd say buy some, might be like a vintage watch or like a modern watch, but that is just like $40, $40, right. $50, something like that. 
if it's modern, that probably means you're buying Chinese. If it's vintage, <laughs> then it could be anything. And you'll need a couple more tools for this, but in your watch repair kit, if you get one of that to kind of consolidate tools, that can help. But you'll need hand removal tools and tools to remove the case back. Right. And for this, this is just adding another layer to getting used to the case and dials and hands and all that jazz. Right. Um, so I'd say take it completely apart and then put it all the way back together to fully working condition like 10 times at least. Wow, that's a lot. So so how long... I think long... repetition is important. Right, okay. So quick question. How, by the 10th time or even you know the 5th time, how long should it be taking you to do this? Or should it not matter? It's just as long as it takes. I would say pretty much as long as it takes. Okay. The one thing that is going to make this easier is, is I'm not expecting the person to take apart the barrel. Okay. Because the problem is that... Taking apart the barrel can be done without tools, but to put the spring back in the barrel actually requires really expensive tools. Ah, okay, good to know. Don't take apart the barrel. Yeah, so when you when you remove the barrel out of the equation, it makes things a bit easier for sure. All right. And for and for this vintage watch that you're buying, I'd also go probably more the manual wind route. All right. You know, it might also have calendar works. And if that's the case, you probably don't need calendar works and automatic winding works added to the complexity immediately. Right. So, but a lot of old vintage watches, you can find ones that have like calendars, but no, no automatic winding, for example. Yeah. Or even ones that don't have calendars or automatic winding. Really, I just want you more interested in taking apart the case and everything and recasing the watch and doing the hands and, and the dial. All right. So this is all going to be very repetitive, but it kind of shows if you're still having fun repeating this over and over, that probably means that you're a reasonable fit. Yeah. Because there is going to be repetition in watchmaking for sure. Um, now, let's say you've done that. You've done that part of the trial and you're still having fun. <laughs> okay. Well, part of learning watchmaking is theory. Right. So you'll buy Watchmaking by George Daniels, and then you'll read that book. Okay. <laughs> and try to understand as much as possible. So so that's like the de facto watchmaking book, in your opinion. <sighs> yeah, it sort of is. Okay. It's it is it is very good and very The thing is, is it covers even all the way to very high end stuff like, oh, this is how you make a tourbillon cage. And stuff right. like that. Yeah. So you don't even need to go all the way through necessarily. But it's good because knowing like the theory and what things are named, that's the thing that the beginning of the trial doesn't help you too much. Right. Like you can pick up something and be like, what's this little thingy? I know it goes next to here and <laughs> it's on that thingy that I'm winding with. Right. But you don't know what it's called. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that'll help you with that. Now, here's where I'd say our path splits in two. Okay? Yeah. So, the, the question is, do you want to be, like, a watchmaker watchmaker? Or do you want to be, like, a hobbyist watchmaker? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I guess I'll do the hobbyist route first. Well, I'd assume even if you want to be a real one, you have to... It has to be a hobby first, right? 
Not necessarily. Okay. So for hobbyists, one of the things that I'd suggest is there's a lot of like watchmaker mini courses held okay. by some schools. So like the AW, AWCI, for example, has a five-day course called Introduction to Watchmaking. You'll basically be doing a lot of the... You're going to basically be doing a, the watchmaker trial that I was talking about, except with an instructor and learning technique for the tools and everything and having lots of expertise and you'll still learn a lot yeah it's actually amazing how you think you know something and then you spend some time with somebody who actually knows something and then you <laughs> you learn how much you didn't know right so it's it's pretty darn valuable and lots of places have these sort of mini watchmaking courses okay and i think those could be cool for hobbyists. Um, and heck, you can even meet other hobbyists that way and all sorts. Yeah. So that's one option. And so then we're in this new age, right? Yeah. Where you do things online. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And that is also a place where you can learn some watchmaking on the cheap. So this this will all be um linked in the description but there's some online courses um that are definitely worth uh taking a look at um now i want to say i haven't i haven't enrolled in these right they're not necessarily exactly on for me but i think that you could learn a lot and they definitely have value but it's just not something that i've done personally but i picked out some ones that are like well known and like reviewed and talked about and so they shouldn't be bad and i also made sure that the people who teach them are kind of good you know what i'm saying yeah so uh the first one learnwatchmaking.com it's kind of minimalist there's not like there's not like tons and tons and tons of infinite amounts of material but the thing is is it's filmed like super clean and the guy who runs it is, like, absolutely really good. He actually worked for Vianney Halter, the guy who made the Deep Space Turbion. Wow, okay. So he's, like, like a master almost. Yeah, so this guy's, like, super legit. And now today, uh, he works at the... Or is it today? But I know he worked at the Patek Philippe Museum, where wow. they, like take really old timepieces and then they're like restoring them so that they can be shown in the museum. Okay. So that's like once Patek Philippe is like, yes, you can touch our like cultural icons and try to fix them. That is a huge like mark of how much you're respected. You know what I'm saying? Right. So learnwatchmaking.com. That's the guy who's, who's running it pretty legit. <laughs> right right he's not gonna teach you crap right then the other one that i checked was time zone watch school this one is kind of more what i expect out of a watchmaker which is like a website that looks like it was made in 1990 <laughs> <laughs> that's never a good sign well, it's like when you're buying like watch tools and stuff, all the websites look like this. They look like crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just something with watchmaking. Perhaps it's just because the average watchmaker age is high. 
Right. So this guy that's teaching, he worked with Tag Heuer. He has been teaching as, like, he's been, like, one of the instructors where if you went to, like, a school school, he would be teaching you. Right. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> he's been teaching in Amsterdam at the Rock Zedin Watchmaking School. So basically, this is just, like, a guy who is one of the, like, teachers that you'd go to for a prestigious watchmaking school, and he just made a bit of an online watchmaking school. Okay. And it's very, I'd say, reasonable in price. Right. That's another option, okay? And then I'd say the least prestigious <laughs> of your options is watchrepairlessons.com. <laughs> it's... Pretty self-explanatory. What? Pretty self-explanatory. Yes, yes, the name's good. The name's good. <laughs> but this is actually um, a guy on YouTube who does um, watch repair stuff. Oh, okay. And he's good. I like this guy. Like, there's a lot of, like, tinkers on YouTube that have, like, bad stuff everywhere. Right. But this guy's pretty legit, you know? Yeah. The thing is, is... He's like, he, he is a watchmaker that's been watchmaking forever, right? Right. He's, he, he's just like the guy that fixes your watches. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a YouTube video about it and then later make this, make this website. Yeah. Now, what's the difference between this guy and learnwatchmaking.com, for example? Well, this guy is pretty legit, but... He's just been watchmaking for so long. So when you're when you're just like a watchmaker, you like learned watchmaking and then you do watchmaking. And one of the things is you don't update your technique to like what's considered the most proper and best today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for example, here's just like a small example that shows how not big of a deal it is, but also how things change okay yeah so there's something called peg wood which is like a type of wood where sometimes you just need to like poke something with a stick in watchmaking yeah, yeah. so like maybe you're like holding down a bridge or something with the stick or you know you use it to like clean out jewels and stuff yeah so when it comes to just like poking stuff with a stick pegwood was the thing that people were using for decades and decades and decades, right? Yeah. Now today, if you go to like a high-end watchmaking school or you're at like some high-end servicing center or something, they won't use pegwood to poke at stuff. Okay. Instead, they use acrylic sticks that they sharpen or shape into the right shape. And the it's... reason why is because pegwood is organic. And so yeah. it leaves like really tiny traces, like ridiculously tiny traces of wood. Ah, but my, but still my, my guess of why they would switch is because if you can shape acrylic exactly, it could be a lot more accurate. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of like shave pegwood, but you can you can shape acrylic a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is just like one of like the small differences. Okay. And then, you know, if you were like to go to school and you were to like learn everything at the at the max level, those differences really accumulate. You know, yeah. and it shows how much the field has changed over time. But 
the thing about this guy is he's a great teacher, very personable, good to learn from. And I think because he's all he does is fix watches, I feel like he's very practical. Okay. And his course is cheap. You can buy his whole course for $239. Oh, that's very that's 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 a big plus. People are getting into it. Yeah. And then you could also go to his uh, YouTube page and sort of just check that out. He's called the Watch Repair Channel. Okay. So very clean name. Uh, but I would say for all of this online course stuff, that's where I'd expect you to go and invest time and sort of learn. You could use it as sort of like an extended version of my watchmaker trial. Yeah. But I'd say when you're done with these, you're not a Swiss watchmaker. <laughs> well, I, I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, like you're not amazing when you're done, you know? Like once you're done with these, you're still a hobbyist. This won't move you away from the hobbyist skill level, I right. feel. Which, by the way, is my skill level. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm some master of complication watchmaker over here. Well, the last time I checked, you're not Swiss, right? No, I'm not Swiss. Uh, okay. But the funny thing about Switzerland and Swiss watchmaking is there's so many people who make Swiss watches that aren't Swiss. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a very international uh, concentration, apparently. Especially because Europe is a bunch of... It's like say, it's like me saying, oh, you know, this guy's from Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway, so this is where we get into the part where... We're talking about you want to become a watchmaker like as your job. You know what I'm saying? How do you do that? Because I feel like what we've talked about is we've talked about what kind of person is sort of fit for it. Then we talked about, you know, are you really interested? You know, maybe you should do a few things just to just to learn and see how you feel about it. You know? Yeah. Then we talked about, you know, the online courses and the AWCI mini courses those are for hobbyists mostly so how do you become the big head honcho okay there's two ways yeah one is the old school way which is apprenticeship ah that's in a lot of different industries like a mechanic or something yeah now here's the thing about apprenticeship it's generally unpaid because you don't know anything so why would anyone pay you to show up yeah i'm saying because you're learning yeah um but it's very hands-on. At Which an apprenticeship, is good. Yeah. At an apprenticeship, you'll learn how to do things, but you might not learn why you do things. Okay. But here's the real stumbling block, which is it's almost impossible to find someone willing to apprentice you. Yeah, because it's almost like they're doing you a favor because they're teaching you the ropes kind of thing. Yeah. And if, if you think about apprenticeship, Back in the day, like 1800s, you would apprentice somebody and it'd be very likely that they continue to work with you and stay at your shop and actually help help out and your investment would be worthwhile. Right, right. Today, everything's so international. You apprentice somebody, they get the skills, then they're like, okay, I'm leaving. I want to start working at this company or like whatever, make my own. It's like not hard for them to move on from you. So it's very hard for you to apprentice someone and get any like return on your time investment. Right. But let's say 
somebody is willing to apprentice you and you actually find a way to make that happen. All right. Just because somebody is willing to apprentice you doesn't mean that they're actually a good teacher. <laughs> That's true. And you wouldn't know, right? Because you don't know. You don't yeah. know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I don't even mean that they know stuff about watchmaking. I'm saying, are they good at the human task of teaching someone else something? Exactly. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're good at teaching it. Exactly. Exactly. And then as you were kind of alluding to, you can only learn what your teacher knows. Right. So if there's kind of an improper selection of who's teaching you, <clears throat> that could be a problem. And then you can also have the problem, which is sort of on the line of what I was saying um, about the YouTube watchmaker and his teaching course, which is that you're going to learn things that are a bit old school. Because once someone enters the profession and they're just like fixing watches, yeah, them updating their technique to the newest standards doesn't happen as much they tend to kind of do what they've been doing for decades or whatever you know right. what i'm saying yeah so that's sort of what apprenticeship looks like i talked about it because it's technically possible but i think the biggest hurdle is finding someone who even wants you to have you there right especially because you know if you're apprenticing with a watchmaker what he's working with is customer items and who wants some unskilled guy touching the customer's items, possibly damaging them and making them look bad to customers? Right. You know, it's just very... The the incentives for the person teaching you are, like, almost non-existent. <laughs> yeah, it's... that. That's why I said it. it's, like, almost like a favor for them to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So next, something that's more realistic is a watchmaker school. Right. And the thing to know about it is there's more people applying for watchmaker schools on average than there are spots. And the reason isn't because it's such a popular thing to do. It's because most watchmaker school classes are like single digit number of students. Right. They're very small. That's good. More attention. Yeah. So the thing is, you're going to have an interview and most of them don't require anything other than, like, a high school education is, like, the only, like, thing that you have to submit that's, like, a proof that you've ever done something in the past, you know? Yeah. So that's nice. But the thing is, you're still competing against all the other interviewees. Right. So you want to make sure that you know some things so that you don't say, like, oh, that winding thing on my watch. That's like, oh, do you mean the crown? <laughs> the like, winding thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I meant, I meant crown. You know? They're going to have people who know what a crown is. You're basically competing for a spot. So you need to know what you're talking about. Yeah. So if if you go in and you can already like name all the parts inside the movement, you know, you know what the winding pinion is, what the cannon pinion is, you know, your pivots, your jewels, you can name all different parts, you know, second wheel, third wheel, seconds wheel. It's a weird way of naming things. All right. Um, so... The more that you know, the more that you can... I'm not saying that you should go in there and try to be like, I am the most knowledgeable person because that's actually obnoxious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But if you speak their language when you enter the room, you're just so much more likely to get a spot. Right. So make sure you know some things, and that's part of why you're reading the George Daniel book, Watchmaking. <laughs> right. To get you there. Yeah. 
And basically, the more you read and the more you watch and the more you learn, the more that you'll do better at an, an interview like that. Now, here's the cool thing about watchmaker schools, is that many of them are entirely tuition-free. Right. Which is crazy, because generally, if something is free, that's because it's not worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> generally. But the reason these are free is because there's a lack of watchmakers, a lot of watches are being sold, and so these luxury companies are under a lot of pressure to find watchmakers. And so places like Patek Philippe and Rolex and Audemars Piquet and all these places, a lot of them are sponsoring these schools so that they can offer tuition-free teaching. Right. Now, the awesome thing about that is, there's a few awesome things about that. One of them is, if Patek Philippe is sponsoring a school, then you can be sure that they're only sponsoring a school if at the end they produce a student that Patek Philippe would be willing to hire. Right. Again, like the apprenticeship thing was like, you can't, you just don't want them to leave right after you want to like, like, you know, use them for something. Yeah. So basically these, these schools that are free, that are sponsored, they have like pipelines. They want to pipeline you into the place that, that sponsored them, which right. means that you've got a job lined up at the end, which is awesome. The other thing is it's free. That's also a reason why it's awesome. Yeah. And you know that their standards are going to be really high because Patek Philippe isn't going to want someone that comes out using all the old school terminology and all the old school techniques that aren't what they actually use at their plants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So the free schools are pretty awesome. There are ones that have tuition and I'm not saying that they're bad at all. There's no reason to think that they're bad, but the free school, it's kind of hard to turn down the idea of a free school. Right, yeah. Um, most of them are two to three years. A lot of them, two. And your classmates will also become your contacts in the future. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's another advantage over apprenticeship, that you're kind of like building networking, and your instructors are your contacts, and watchmaking world is pretty small. Your instructors can help get you jobs, too. Yeah. If your instructor likes you and they think that you're good at something, you're going to have a job lined up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're good, you're good, right? It's just like anything else. Yeah. Now, there's something that you might see out there called WoStep. And WoStep is basically like a general Swiss accreditation to a school, but it doesn't necessarily exist in Switzerland. Right. But it's not required that a school has it, but if it has it, it just shows that their standards are probably pretty high. Now, here's the, the, the difference between watchmaker schools and apprenticeships, which is watchmaker schools, tons of, tons of theory. Right. <clears throat> so you're going to definitely learn why things are there. And um, it's really valuable in that way because if you want to get to the highest end of watchmaking, you really have to know why things work. And... Because you're the person who's going to make it work in the first place. Right. And then, of course, the last thing is that these watchmaker schools are going to have all updated um, ways of doing things. You hope. <laughs> in general, <laughs> yes. Now, of course, you have to pay for room and board and stuff. So if you go to school, 
maybe you need to get a part-time job. You know, you go to school from like eight to five or whatever. Maybe you're a bartender at night. Right. Something like that. It's, it's an investment. Yeah. But it's way cheaper than going to like a U.S. college, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. Like with my sort of way of thinking about it from the U.S., you could not even have your um, your bartending job and just get a loan for room and board. Right. Yeah. You you'd need help or go to like get some sort of scholarship. It's like, yeah, it's pretty pretty expensive. Yeah. Now, I wanted to point out one. Now, you're going to ask me, where do you find these watchmaker schools? Well, I would just say Google. <laughs> <laughs> At the point where you're applying to schools, I don't really want to tell you where to apply. Well, you, you should know? apply to like as many as like just like any other school, apply to as many as possible and get like all the options on the table. Well, the problem with that is the sometimes it's like, oh, this school only accepts students every other year. Okay. For example, or it's not all at the same time. So you could get accepted to one school and you don't know if you've got options with other schools because... Yeah, they don't all come back at the same time or something. Yeah, it's not like the educational system where yeah. it's all like set at the certain time of year or whatever. That's true. I'm losing my voice right now. <laughs> um, which is weird because I haven't been using it that much. Um, maybe that's why. It's maybe it is why. Uh, so... I did want to point out one, which is the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative. This is for the U.S. Now, back in the day, like Vietnam, people would come out of the war. They'd have, like, injuries and stuff. And a lot of jobs would be, like, difficult. The nice thing about watchmaking is you don't need to be able to lift, you know, 100 yeah. pounds. It's not like a manual labor job in many ways. That's true. And Or, like, you know... You lose a leg to a mine or something on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, you can be a watchmaker, no problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's almost like an artisan thing. Where it's like, you don't need, you just need some manual dexterity. Yeah. So um, that is something that the army itself actually used to do. Um, they used to funnel people in, into becoming watchmakers back in the day. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's like pre-Quartz Crisis. Um, but one of these places sort of still exists. It's called the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative. Um, if you're a veteran, it's free. Wow. So it's another one of these free things. I can't speak to its quality at all. So if you're a veteran, you might want to look into it. But I know a lot of veterans kind of like other veterans and people who kind of like get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if that's kind of the setup that you want, then Veterans Watchmaker Initiative is a really good option. Of course, all these other schools, excellent options. But that one's just got its own little own little flavor that I thought I'd mention because it kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, I would have never even imagined that they'd have something like that. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I feel like I sort of covered it. Um, I'm going to put basically my entire, I always like write notes before the show and then I just take the links out of the notes right. to put, uh, as the show notes. But for this one, I'm just going to take all of my notes and those will just be the show notes. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Those should be easy for you to look at. Lots of resources there. Yeah. 
So that's how you become a watchmaker. Um, I kind of left it a little bit open-ended, didn't tell you literally every little thing that you have to do, because in the end, it's your life. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you got to figure out um, some of the intermediate steps and stuff. And uh, I don't want you to come out four years from now and be like, I went to the school, I didn't like it. <laughs> because it was the one that you specifically mentioned. Yeah, you know I mean, some things you got to figure out for yourself, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this gives you a general idea of how you're going to do it. What are the upsides of some versus others? Of course, I'm just a hobbyist, so I'm just doing it because I like it, and I've got my own my own bench. But I, you know... In my dreams, I imagine myself sometimes going to watchmaker school and, you know, <laughs> working on high complication watches and stuff. And it seems awesome, you know. Yeah, I'd imagine it'd be pretty, if you're, especially if they're into that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well. Lots of info there. Lots to digest. Yeah. And we broke our first promise this episode. Which was? I don't think we've ever promised people something that we haven't delivered on. Yeah. <laughs> And we said that we'd go over that Black Mirror episode. Right. That's my beginning. fault. That's my fault, guys. You didn't send me the episode. <laughs> I, I'm going to send him that in the next episode. We will review that. <laughs> so if you guys have are interested in Black Mirror at all, make sure to tune in next episode. Or give us suggestions on which episode you like as well. <laughs> which episode should Luke watch? Yeah. Because well, Luke is interested in the ones where it's like, basically ai or robots or whatever you want to call them as basically a life form right yeah where had a consciousness that that's where that's where our our debate was anyway yes yeah so there's that i mean there's some great episodes about that i just that's on me all right well i don't have anything else for the people uh other than like instagram and stuff people are still contacting me on instagram got some interesting questions uh in my direct messages and yeah. I love answering them so people can continue to do that. Perfect. And I also want to say thank you for those people who rated us on iTunes. I see there are new, some new ratings. So There are? Oh yes, my there god. There's seven ratings now. There's it's not seven wow. reviews, but there are more reviews as well. There's seven, a rating is like if you just press, you know, one to five stars, but then people actually left some more reviews. So very grateful for that. Cuz we only had five or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But now there's more okay. reviews too. So, yeah, those people are my favorite listeners, <laughs> and you can get into that prestigious group. Now, we why wouldn't favor, you want to be a favorite? We don't favor well. Apple or anything. But it's just we were asking for that. All right, awesome. Well, we'll see you guys next week. We'll continue to discuss gears, springs, oils, watches, brands, all things watches, and watchmaking. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>